You are listening to the Krika Lecture Series podcast, produced by the Center for Russia, East Europe, and Central Asia at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This and other Krika podcasts are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information about Krika's lecture series and public events, visit our website at krika.wisc.edu. Well, thank you very much, Jennifer, and um, thank you indeed for all of you not feeling snow. I'm not too excited about the coming spring break, to be early. Uh, so, and it's my great pleasure to uh, to introduce uh, today's talk by uh, Professor uh, Alena Paleta uh, from uh, the uh, from Ivan Franco National University of Lviv, uh, who is also professor uh, at Ukrainian Catholic University. Uh, also located in uh, Lviv, um, uh, Alena works in uh, the fields of uh, literary theory, compar- comparative literature, literary anthropology. Uh, she has researched and taught modern and contemporary Ukrainian literature at universities and academic institutions in the US, uh, Canada, Australia, Germany, Austria, Poland, Croatia, and Czech Republic. Uh, this semester, uh, Dr. Kaleta uh, is a visiting professor at uh, Harvard University, and this is why we are a little lucky uh, to uh, to be able to invite her also to give a guest talk. Uh, uh, here, Alena has worked as co-organizer of international uh, projects uh, dedicated to the intellectual history of the 20th century and the role of art and literature in crisis situations at the times of transition. Uh, she is an author, co-author, and co-editor of uh, eight books on the literary history of modern Ukraine, including uh, a book titled, uh, or rather a special issue of a journal titled um, Zim Ukraine, Independent Literature of 1991-2021, so this post-Soviet period in the history of Ukrainian literature and culture. Uh, her monograph from anthology to ontology, Anthology as a means of representation of Ukrainian literature in the 19th and early 20th century, I'm sorry, uh, 19th, early 21st centuries, received several awards in Ukraine. And her forthcoming monograph, her forthcoming book, uh, the title New Writings Ukrainian Literature in an Anthropological Perspective, uh, analyzes current changes in the understanding of the concept of literature and uh, focuses uh, attention on blurred literary genres and unique forms of expression determined by both aesthetic searches and combination of historical, cultural, and personal circumstances. And it is my guess that something that we will hear today is related to, uh, to that uh, uh, project that uh, Professor Galeta undertakes uh, now on uh, contemporary Ukrainian literature and its response to the crisis, its response to the war that has been going since 2014. Please help me uh, welcome Professor Paulette. Dear colleagues, it's a big honor for me to be invited to participate in Krika presentation series. And uh, let me express my gratitude to Professor Irina Shevalanko, who organized my visit, who invited me, and who introduced me to the audience. And I'm very thankful also to uh, colleagues who helped to organize this visit to Jennifer to Courtney to Oksana. So now let me start my presentation and you see a title of War Vocabulary, Traumatic Experience and the Search for a New Language in Ukrainian Literature after 2014. 
I think that maybe I have to say since 2014, because for me it's important to start my analysis with uh, in time of Ukrainian revolution of dignity, and the first title was the first name of the whole event was Maidan, and that is also important. I will go back to this one. Uh, and uh, I have to say also that I will focus my attention only on one phenomenon in Ukrainian uh, literature in time of revolution of dignity and also Russian war against Ukraine. And I will try to pay my attention to some changes which occur on a level of literature as artistic or fictional articulation and but they signalize about something deeply rooted in a language itself. What happened with language, with our ability to speak and to say something, to express something, define something, and establish our connection with the world using our words, yes? Uh, in time of tra traumatic experience. So, yes, I will switch to the next slide. First of all, I would like to say something about the general writing scene. What was so specific in the Ukrainian situation? Because we can say that that is, so unfortunately, that is not the only one traumatic experience as a challenge for literature, not only for literature, but in Ukrainian case, when talking about revolution of dignity, we have uh, a situation which was fully mediated. It was said for several times by different researchers that the Russian war against Ukraine uh, is one of the most described events in our history. Why? Because of social media, yes? And during Ukrainian revolution of dignity, almost everything that happened was streamed by many people. But what is also important, it was realized very quickly that visualization, so visual record, uh, it's not enough to explain what's going on and what's going about. Yes, it needed to be explained also. It needed to be textualized to understand and to create like mutual understanding of the very situation. What was so important and was exactly challenged literature in time of revolution of dignity and then Russian-Ukrainian war, that was a violence, a direct deadly violence against protesters during the process of a peaceful protest. It was not possible to believe that something like that could happen at the beginning of 21st century in Ukraine, in the capital of Ukraine, as a part of Europe, and that was a challenge not only on rhetorical, but also on anthropological level. That was a question how to define and also how to define humanity, both as human society and a human value in a situation of humiliation. And we could observe different, different ways how liturgy react to such a situation. So not all, of, or not all of them I'm going to describe, but I would like to start with them. You could see numerous individual statements as a direct testimony of defeat, and all of them are fundamentally incomplete and interrupted. Why? Because it's not possible to describe such, uh, how to say, unimaginable experience. 
What happened, I mean violence, I mean first deaths during the Ukrainian Maidan and then Russian invasion. It was something impossible. It was not just a new experience we came to add to our previous experiences, yes? It was something what, what broke the red line of our existence. The red line not only in a metaphorical sense, because red, that's a color of our blood. So that is why literature was like stressed at that moment. And I remember one phrase, which have never been cited after that, but it was posted in Facebook. It was like, we all lost after the first death. What does it mean, we all lost? We all like people who tried using our human language to predict physical violence. And that was the beginning of the big discussion about the very nature of literature and what exactly could we do even if we could not predict or rapidly stop the direct violence. And uh, what else? Uh, you could also observe socially oriented creativity as, as social critic and social action. We could see numerous cases of use of classical and folklore modes and formulas as an attempt to find a footing beyond the present. So if you are, uh, if you are not sure how exactly you could articulate and narrate what's going on, you start for, to look for some stable construction. As for, uh, for example, the construction of a fairy tale. When, for example, you have a construction which divides the whole world in two parts. This one is white, this one is black, or this one is good, this one is bad. And how would we, uh, yeah, and how could, how could we uh, create this one orientation? But we could also observe something like silence and reflection on the lack of artistic language in times of tragedy. Uh, we could observe writing practices as collective rituals to interconnect different elements of a broken reality and create new identities. And new reconsideration of a future literature in the light of the language shift when it's impossible to predict the meaning and association of words used by writers. I'll try to explain this, my thesis, a bit later, what does it mean, yes? But I would like to share my own impression. When the Ukrainian Revolution of Dignity started, I was in Germany, and I was invited to present the first anthology uh, as a collection of essays written by Ukrainian intellectualists, by Ukrainian writers. When I start to read this text, I realized that, that they repeat the same words and the same phrases. And that was so strange. Then I ask also German translators to send to me not only German translation, but also original text. What I realized, the German translation, the translators, they start to, to change some words because it was too, too often, yes? People were repeating the same words like, Death, healing, blood, it, it was like in titles of many, many essays. And sometimes translators even change some titles. And ask myself, okay, what I can, what I can as a literary scholar explain if I have just a documental narration and nothing more. And I ask myself what happened with literary expression that nothing is like being analyzed from so-called literary point of view. 
So uh, finally, we could also analyze this text as an attempt to create a new idea or to rethink the very idea of literature. Uh, now I would like to express also my own uh, methodological perspective. It's not about a factual methodology, just on the one approach, but about, about very general free. Uh, so in my case, it's literary anthropology as it was introduced for the first time by Wolfgang Ezer at the beginning of 90s. Uh, by Wolfgang Ezer, who said that liturgy is a specific type of transgressive thinking. Oh, sorry. <laughs> liturgy is a mechanism of the creation of new senses and new meanings, as well as new forms, and it is one of the attributes of the human being. That is very important things. In case of Ezer, it was like a statement, like the basic statement without, uh, how to say, a really clear argumentation, but for me it's a starting point to ask, okay, if literature represents the very process of creating of science, oh, sorry, <laughs> the very process, I'm sorry for tautology, but process of representation, yes? It's like we do not use something instead of our language and we create some new signs, new words, new sentences, what means new meanings, yes, represented by new forms. What is going on with our language and literature also in time of experiencing uh, such huge trauma? Literary anthropology also defined literature as a specific cultural activity aimed at collective and personal identification. What was added to this one definition by American classical anthropologist Clifford Geertz is that literature is a specific type of transgressive thinking, a periculous business that not only describes reality and creates its own, but also changes the author and the reader in the process of writing and reading. I like this one definition as given by Rudolf Behrens and Ronald Gale. Literature accumulates previous human experience and uses it to ensure further human development, articulate this experience, implementing the uh, aesthetic function of language, and finally shows and simultaneously forms the place of the human in the world. That is exactly what I would like to look for analyzing Ukrainian literature, first of, young, oh, oh, first of all Ukrainian poetry as a mean of repertory action since 2014. Uh, I would like to start with this one text as um, a kind of motto to my presentation. That is the only fragment from Olena Hosseinova poem, and that is a reflection on the after the first the first victim, the first person was killed during Ukrainian revolution of dignity. The person in me grows smaller, curls up in a ball, wraps in a colorful wrapper, a chocolate uh, a chocolate covered pram, bitter, sugary, smoky, marks the fingers with the black abrasive stain. That's how you will recognize your kin. That's how you will distinguish between black and white. My entire person may be eaten in one go. Open your mouth wide. Clench your jaw tight. Swallow once. The person in me will squeak, crumble, and hot. So we see in this text how the sphere of our human being 
it's going smaller and smaller, yes? So it's just one dot on our map. And how let you just start to react? That is a fragment from another one poem written by Olha Perechrest. Tell me about that winter when he died. His name was Serhi. He was a soldier and a volunteer. Uh, for everybody who participate in Ukrainian Revolution of Dignity, I mean not only directly participate in a protest, but even watch some information, some streams. It is clearly understood that this one person is a real one. It's a real person. It's Sergei Nagoyan, who was Armenian, and who was one of the first who was killed during the protest. So how the language is constructed? Yes, what does it mean to create a narrative? First of all, to use our personal experience, our peculiar, very specific experience, yes? And to reconnect things or person and a word. After that, we try to establish something more. His name is Sergei. Sergei is a soldier and also a volunteer. It's like, this is equal. We try to reestablish some basic relation between words. So, uh, in time of Maidan, literature changed the mode of uh, the mode of um, creating of uh, literature change a, a mode of creating of a poetical expression in a sense that uh, it was it started to be dominated not by metaphor but by metonymy. Why metonymy became so important? I would. I would like to say that even the name uh, Maidan is metonymy. If you were, uh, I also remember this one experience, yes? If you are asked about what's going on in Ukraine, it's about 2014, and you answer, we have Maidan, it's explain nothing, yes? Because to understand what's going on, you have to have your own experience, to be in situ, to be in place. That is the principle of metonymy, yes? What's going on? And saying Maidan, we just use a name of a place when exactly the protest took place. Once again, sorry for tautology. And after that, when the name of this one event was changed to Revolution of Dignity, we create a kind of metaphor. But at the very beginning, if you have something very specific, I would even say unique experience, it's not possible to create in a metaphor. What does it mean unique in this case? It's unique once again for yourself. Yes, for myself unique. It doesn't mean that it's only one tragic experience for the whole human society, unfortunately, once again. But for, for people who experience it, this one experience is identified as a unique, but in a sense that it's something that have never had happened. And if it is unique, it means that you cannot to compare it to something else. But if you cannot to compare, you cannot to create a metaphor. You can only create metonymy. And that is not only my idea, because this one, reflection, appeared also in poetical text 
In Mariana Salka poem, the metaphor died, or Helena Krug, war is not a metaphor. War makes everything so crystal clear that there, there is no room for poetry, only for testimony. And at the same time, what's also disappeared, fully disappeared from Ukrainian literature, that is irony. Why? Because irony is a distance, yes? If you are not distanced, you cannot create ironical narration. But in such a situation, it's not possible to be distanced. And what happened with metaphors in poetical text, even not only metaphor as poetical tools, but also so-called lingual or conceptual metaphors started to be like broken. I would like to demonstrate just the part of this one text. It became very famous because it was read by Donald Tusk, who visited Ukrainian parliament, and it was citated in Ukrainian language. We all Europe are so deeply worried. Some of us actually to death. Clear your YouTube more often, so your citizens are not struck by the atrocities here. Some of our people will never see you with their own eyes, but your eyesight Europe is failing too as you refuse to see their reading eyes and gunshot wounds. Some will no longer be able, Europe, don't be angry to even reach out a hand to you unless, unless it is prosthetic. You see how it is created, yes? What kind of lingual tools? So it's not like creating metaphor, it's like broken metaphor. Very similar also here, yes? What does it mean? to see you with their own eyes, just because we do not have our eyes. And it was typical that a killer started, uh, they tried to target, for example, journalist eyes in time of Ukrainian protest. And many authors also reflect, oh, sorry, yes. Many authors reflect an ability to speak and create poetical language based on thematic uh, and formal level. I could try to illustrate these two cases with Mariana Kianowska poem. I believe before that death turns sea to stone. Death is when the tide of the earth covers us up. Now I believe that is the word unknown to my soul. Speak death. The unspeakable to my soul, what is death? Tell me and return. So what's going on? She's speaking about an ability to speak. Yes, but here, pay your attention to this one fragment. It's not the whole text. It's just a fragment. It's exactly how it looks like. With dots, it's marked a lack of language. And what we have, uh, that is even not a full sentence, yes, just some parts, several words. And in such a way, she tried to free the empty space of our language. Uh, in such a case, Mariana Kianowska also not only described, but marked very specific emotional landscape, if to use the definition given by Ruth Weinreich. 
And now I would like to switch to theory, such kind of poetical language was described also by Shoshana Feynman. And she said that it would be described by in the, the best way by the concept of stammering as a kind of traumatized language. Literature has become for me the site of my own stammering. Literature gives me a voice, a right, and a necessity to survive. Yet I cannot discount the lit oh sorry. It was just occasion. Yes, I cannot discount the literature which in the dark evokes the scream, which opens the bones, and which makes me want to fall silent. Caught by the contradictory, vicious advance to speak or not to speak, I can only stammer. So please pay your attention to two more words in this one citation. That is a voice and that is also the scream. Because I will be back to this kind of sounds. But now I would like to demonstrate how the same topic appeared in Ukrainian poetry during the last year after the full-scale Russian invasion into Ukraine. Two poems by Irina Shuvalova. The first one under the title, The Unspeakable. Look, 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 here, here. It lies the unspeakable, heavy as a loved one's dead body, long as night when they, bombing, they are bombing. Take the unspeakable under its blood-soaked arms. Pull it, leave tracks. Uh, in the morning, may these red tracks be seen from afar. So what is interesting here, not only the concept of the unspeakable, but also this kind of creating poetical expression, it's exactly about stammering. If you are not able to go further, you are stopped in the same, in the same place, with the same word. And another one text, once again about an ability to speak. A poet can't write about war. Neither victim, not par nor participant, nor defender, nor observer, nor outsider. So who? The war gave everyone a role. What's yours? Covering your mouth with your palm. Right, right. Miss can't hold back the tongue. Suddenly she's quiet just when it seemed precisely the time to talk. But what can you say? When over there everyone, everywhere is shooting, sirens screaming, smoke cracking, height up, evacuation uh, uh, will squeaking, crooked months of chattered windows, desperately howling, she texts you, I can hear explosion close by, fighter jet flying, you don't know how to respond. So, if you don't know who, uh, how to respond, if you are out of words, the only what you can produce is the sound itself. So it's not like using a language, it's not about words. You are not able to produce senses, you only can produce a voice. And that is demonstrated very clearly also in Ukrainian poetry. The first citation, it's from a text which was written at the very beginning of protest, before the first person was killed. 
God save us all from using beacons, but we know that the situation changed very quickly. And after that, such texts as written by Olga Kashkov or Mariana Kianos or Tatiana Vlasova appear. This one is a text in five stanzas under the titles Voice are Covered by Flags. So they are killed, they are dead. And in this one text, she constantly repeat one phrase, do not hope. And narrator addressed this one message to a woman who is looking for her son. And she is not sure is he still alive or he isn't. So, and he also produced only this one sound, and that is not human sound. It's something uh, what also defines us or represent us as an animal, and that is not about human specifically. Uh, some other also uh, examples how this situation is reflected. Mariana Kianovska, once again, the deed is simply about us, no words to describe it. Tatiana Vlasova, the street has become so painful, and what can you say? Or Bogdan Bodenchuk, I know there is not enough words to say it all. And then, if you cannot communicate and re-establish relation also uh, between individual people, the only one your tool is your body, and a body is something you trust too, because a body is also a means to experience reality itself. And it is also reflected in Ukrainian poetry, oh, sorry, <laughs> sensitive, in Ukrainian poetry of that time. So maybe this time not Mariana Kianowska, but for example, Pavlo Korobchuk. Uh, so his poetry demonstrates a distinction between word and body. Body is a new message, the content of which is inseparable from the lyrical subject and you throw cobbles expressing your explicit political position, and this is a way to hold back tears. And from the same poem, uh, he has appeared during the first talk at the slit of his balaclava, or somebody who understand this simple trust, the most impassionate kiss, the one with guest taste, on your lips. So if language is not enough to communicate, to produce meaning, so uh, poetry start to use some different tools like sounds and like articulating and expressing of body experience. Uh, as I see, it's not <laughs> so, okay, I will skip maybe some of text because they demonstrate the same thesis, but I would like to switch to this one. Literature and, lit and poetics became very literary. So that means if you cannot to compare something, you can try just to match this one word with this one things or this one person. How it looks like, for example, this one text is a very specific one, you know? I cited it from Facebook. I have to say 
that many texts written during Ukrainian Revolution of Dignity, were, so almost all of you, were immediately published in social media, as I said, yes? But it took several years for authors to include this text in, um, in lyrical collections. So many of these texts were published for the first time even in 2018. I remember it very clearly. It's because I was a member of a committee and I read a lot of books at that time uh, on literary competition. So for me, it was also important how many times it took to incorporate such an experience in your general vision of the world. This one has never been published as a part of collection, and this one was written not in time of protest, but exactly one year later, after the first person was killed. Perhaps once, during a regressive hypnosis session, we will recall in details the level felt in the snow where a man tried to get up, pulled a rabbit with stick, but couldn't. That's on, on the part of the text. Perhaps once interrupting the session with a scream, we will yet recall it all, but not now, not now. The whole text is like an attempt to remember some particular situation. And in the end of this text, it's like, okay, saying, we are still not able to say everything about what happened. But why we are not able to say everything? First of all, because the first traumatic experience was not overcome. It was only deepened but by next event. But what happened next? Russian invasion, full-scale war. So the only source we have is our memory, but our memory is also traumatized. And some other examples of such, like a sign of such, a, like symptoms, I would even say, of poetical language, we could observe also in other texts written in time of Russian-Ukrainian war. The same principle of describing just particular, even not describing, like naming, keeping in our memory some events or even some special places. This text is written by Anastasia Afanasyeva, Russian-speaking author from Kharkiv. Uh, so at the beginning of Russian invasion, not the last year, but earlier. Can there be poetry after Yasinovata, Horlivka, Savur Mohela, Novo Azovsk, after Krasny Luch, Donetsk, Luhansk? What's going about? No sentence, just a question, and I have. I think you can recognize the first line, yes? Because you know about uh, Adorno, who asked about poetry after Osvensi, yes, after Holocaust. And as I write this very close to me, every hope is being ended. So she's still in a sphere of culture, but at the same time, the only thing we could do is only use some some, some, some names of places. It's a kind of new geography. But pay attention to this one text. I'm sorry, it's not even so easy to, to read. This one, written by Luba Yakimchuk, Ukrainian-speaking author, originally from Luhansk. Nothing changes on the Eastern Front, once again, yes, cultural association. Well, I'm it up to here. 
At the moment of death, little gets hot and people get cold. Don't talk me about Luhansk. It's long since turned into Hansk. Lou had ye raised to the ground to the prison tower. And here's the same principle. Once again, we have geographical names like Luhansk, Donetsk, Pervomaisk has been split into Pervo and Maisk. So she's going even further following Anastasia Afanasio but showing how the whole geography is also, it's also destroyed. The title, I'm sorry I did not put it here, but the title is Decomposition. For me, it's not only decomposition as how to say, like mechanical project, a process, but decomposition, decomposition is also biological pro process. Why I'm so sure? I stare into the horizon. It has narrowed into a triangle. Some flowers beat their heads in the field, black and dried out like me. I have gotten so very old, no longer Luba to me, just a ba. And the same reflection, very close to this one, reaction and reflection, we could also observe in contemporary Ukrainian literature, I mean, after Russian full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Classic Panasyuk, the language in a time of war can be understood. Inside this sentence is a hole. No one wants to die. No one speaks. But the hospital bed of the letter Y lies a prophesis. It's too shy to use. You can see the light through the clumsy, sold-out holes of the letter F. The soft sign has its tongue torn up due to disagreement regarding the etymology of torture. There is too much alphabet in the hospital rooms of my country. Too much, too much alphabet. No place to stick an apostrophe. Pinfuls of the walls showering us with word incomprehensible like man who in wartime refuse to speak. So you see we are going from words to syllabs and now to letters. Uh, so going back to the to the idea about memory or traumatized memory, I have to summarize this part of my presentation saying that poetry became a notification of facts, description of individual events that are transformed through text into general cultural experience. And we could observe also rejection of figurative speech as a search for a direct connection between the word and the things at the conceptual core for successful naming. This one is also uh, correspond with uh, Katy Caru's description and analysis of traumatical language. I think that this one theoretical approach is well known, yes, and she is also uh, she is also talking about literality of traumatized language. But I would like to show you one more case. It's very close to previous uh, one. But something is different. That is a poem by Olaf Clemenson. So it is a plain name. He's a painter also, <clears throat> Alexander Klemenko. And he described a writer, a poet, as contemporary Adam, but 
what he is doing. He's giving names to animals. But please pay your attention here what happened in contemporary situation the last year. A few cardboard boxes of names were left over for hooves who still remained among the demolished buildings under the charred vines in the bomb shelters of the dance. And here, so many names will be left forever without their animals. It's also about human animals, yes? So that's another side of the whole situation. We still have a lot of words, but we cannot use it just because we do not, we cannot name, to use to name people who are alive. So what I would like to add also, I said that many of such poems have never, uh, haven't been published for several years. So they appeared as a part of anthologies. And anthology in such a situation became extremely important literary forms. Because if nobody is able to produce the general, the united image of the whole reality, anthology could work as a kind of collection or kaleidoscope, yes? And to put together different fragments. It doesn't mean that the whole vision as produced by each of these anthologies is really, like, a f really, really, really completed. But nevertheless, it's our like common, our common uh, efforts to create, to recreate our broken reality. What is also interesting that the first anthologies were compiled in chronological order. That means that. We just are following some processes. We do not know about the consequences, about the result of such processes. That is the only one principle to put text in chronological order. No other principle to construct the whole situation. And many of these anthologies also include very different texts, poems, uh, some um, short stories, essays, and even posts from social media. And in such a way, they also problematized the very nature of literature. I would like to pay attention, like in addition to the main line of my presentation, that many of these anthologies, especially of course published at the beginning of Russian aggression, include texts written in two different languages, in Ukrainian language and in Russian language. What is more interesting, some of these anthologies include this text in two different versions. For example, Ukrainian original text and Russian translation, Russian original text and Ukrainian translation. Why? Why it was needed? Who were translators? Usually writers itself. So it doesn't mean that writer translate herself or himself. For example, uh, Boris Kersonsky, who, uh, who, who writes in Russian language, was translated by Mariana Kianowska to Ukraine. Mariana Kianowska from Ukraine translated by Iakiva to Russian language, yes? How it works, what, what, what was the reason? It was rather an act of solidarity. We use different language, but we can create and express the same values. That was important. But what I would like to say, sorry, <laughs> maybe you will be interested. I took something, yes. Maybe you see this one anthology. It was published just several year, uh, days ago in the Hour of War 
by and compiled by Caroline Forsh and Ilya Kaminsky. Sorry if I pronounce not correctly. Yes, maybe you saw this one. If not, I started to read it in a plane going here. And I paid my attention to the last poem in this collection. Once again, by Anastasia Afanasyeva, you see an English translation. Uh, it is not the full text. In the second part of this text, you can find something very specific. If you will try to read it, it would be quite hard. So it doesn't mean in what language you will try to read it. It's not English, yes, but in Latin letters. It's not Russian, it's not Ukrainian. Something like very, very strange, looking very strange. If you would like to see, I can just, <laughs> yeah. And I started to look for an original text. I found it, yes, that is original text. So it's not so important uh, that uh, it's not possible to read, just believe me. And you can check also. This text, it started to be written in Russian language, yes. And everything changed here. This text was written exactly at the beginning of February 2022, when uh, Anastasia Afanasyeva was leaving Kharkiv in time of bombing. And here she switched to Ukrainian language. This part is written in Ukrainian language. And you know what? I'm a specialist in Ukrainian language also. But some phrases are not correct. They are like something, you know, it's not very correct Ukrainian language. It would be possible just to correct it, but I think that it's much more interesting to keep it in such a form. If talking about stunning, I remember Shoshana Falman, yes, concept. This one, that strategy could be also recognized like an example of that, yes. Even if I still feel myself a bit uncomfortable in other language, I know that I cannot be so perfect in this one language, but I have a reason to switch to this language. So as for now, I would say that the situation changed if to compare 2014-15 and 2022-23 in a sense of bilingualism in Ukrainian literature, because if it was possible to say about Russian-speaking and Ukrainian-speaking authors, so Ukrainian literature and also some Russian-speaking authors in Ukraine, right now, almost all of them, I mean Russian-speaking, became uh, bilingual authors. You know, so we are talking not about bilingual editions, but about bilingual authors. That is not only Anastasia Afanasyeva, uh, but Many of them, Sia Kiva, Natalia Vilchenko, uh, Andrei Kurkov, uh, Volodymyr Rafienko, uh, who else, who were Rush, uh, Boris Khersonsky also, who were Russian-speaking authors. As for now, they are bilingual authors. And what is also interesting and important in anthological edition, that is that such kind of project initiate something much more broader than just a process of individual reading of published books. This one, Words for War, compiled by Oksana Maximchuk and Max Rosochinsky, that is the first domain page, like, so uh, on, uh, on a site of publishing house, mm -hmm. yes. This one project, it's also, you see, uh, it's also also exists in digital version, 
And what we could find, this part is especially important for me, because this part under the title media uh, include several video records when American writers, translators, read uh, English translation of Ukrainian poetry of the time of war. So that means that this one project is an open one. It's like project which create a new community and you can launch this one community. I know that I'm almost out of time, but I have to demonstrate at least one more project because the title of my presentation it's also the direct citation of the title of this fund project. The title is a war vocabulary, and the author of this project is Ostap Slavinsky. We could say that it's also a kind of anthology, but not typical one, because that is a collection of short stories, and each of, is, of this short story is created by, uh, so all of these stories are created by different people. These people are not only writers, they are just people with their private stories, and they are ready to tell the stories. What Ostap Slavinsky does, uh, he's just choosing the stories as centered around particular words and compiles something like a new vocabulary to articulate our new reality. Uh, uh, some stories were published for many times in different languages. And as I understand, the first publication went in, in, in German language, then in English language, not in Ukrainian even, because in Ukrainian it exists in social media. But no particular, like, uh, no order in, um, in uh, uh, organizing of all of these steps. Each time it could be different, uh, it, it could be different uh, collection and exception of text. What Stav Slavinsky said, trying to explain, he's a poet, he's also an essay writer, and he has been for a long time a vice president of Ukrainian PAN. He said that I have had the feeling that the beginning of the full-scale invasion, that reality is very saturated, it's completely filled with experiences, emotions, events, news, and there is no room for imagination. All that can be done is to document. But if, we, oh, I just would demonstrate how the stories looks like, what is involved, that is what I did, just to show where exactly this word appeared, you know, you see that uh, each of the story has a title, just one word, a name of author or speaker, and also what is also, if, if somebody uh, would like not to say her or his name, it's like that, but usually we have a name, just name, with our surname, and also a place of, of this story, when this story, where exactly this story happened, because people were usually moved in time when telling these stories. What is interesting here, and what is, so you see, some of them, some of them just three, three sentences. What is important here, that this project demonstrates how the role of author and the role of reader is changed today. So if the writer refused to image something, it doesn't mean that this project is created 
without any imagination. That is a work of imagination of, uh, on the level of language. So that's not about creating poems, novels. That's about recreating our language itself. No single story has an end at the time of telling because reality itself lacks a stable form. But we could find some motifs, repeated motifs in this text. That is about, first of all, our feeling of space and time. Because everything is urine. Time, time it's not calculated. It's not possible to divine time in some repeated units, yes? Because it's something like bombing happened. It's not just you're bombed from this minute to this minute. It's something like, you know, completely out of your uh, timeline in your life. And it happened for many, many times. And that is visible that literature also and language have to restore all of this connection. What about places? What about space? That is about our identification. To identify ourselves, myself, means also to take place. That was articulated for the first time by Aristotle, yes? But that is not possible. Everything is moving. Everything was like ruined, out of the places. And we have to restore once again the space structure and to find our own place. But what is really important, the last distinction remains unchanged. And that is distinction between a body and a thing, a living body and a dead thing, a person and a corpse. That's important because to be a human being, yes, when talking about human being, it's about keeping this distinction. So it's not the same if you interact with people, with something who is alive, or just with things. What else I would like to add, and what is so important? I just would like to, I, I almost finish. So, Ostap Slavinsky also said for several times in different interviews that he was inspired by Chaslav Milos, his project, the work Nail Poems. So that was a collection of poems written in Warsaw in time of Nazi occupation. What Milos did, he had almost the same idea, the same aim, to recreate the world, starting with very, very uh, basic things, just to describe in a very simple way the basic things. But what is different if to compare this to project? Ostap Slavinsky is not the only author of this project, yes? It's not the personal one project, it's an open project. It's like a something we are able to do only in common as a community and that is a way also to recreate our human community and yes other people who collect and add individual stories to the project because it was possible to add it individually you just can use a hashtag in social media yes and in such a way also to add something to this collection so other people who contributed, they also blurring the difference between the author and the reader, the researchers and the informant, the specialist and the average speaker. And yes, 
This one project, as I said, is not syntagmatic or hierarchical text. It's not constructed by some principles. I would say that this one text is a kaleidoscopic one. What does it mean? I borrowed this one concept from Walter Benjamin, yes? And he said that a kaleidoscope creates a picture that is integral and at the same time changing, poetic and catastrophic. And if to look for some characteristic of Slavinsky project, we can find exactly the same. This one project and the process of telling story is really painful because the picture made up of fragments at the same time testifies to the destruction of the previous pattern. And this one project, it's also poetical in a sense which was introduced by Plato in the banquet because he described poetic as something uh, so poetic is something, uh, what is the creative factor thanks to which the transition from non-being to being takes place. So personal stories are not subject to a general composition because it is not possible to determine the appearance, growth, culmination or resolution of a conflict in unpredictable circumstances. This process also opposed, this project opposed propaganda as destroying language and its connection with reality. It's a collection of personal stories that gravitates toward the description and understanding of the common reality toward the reconstruction of an ordered and value-oriented world from destructive chaos. And if to look for some consequences, I would say that this one project, yes, is a one, uh, a long one project, a year, one year long project initiated by Ostap Slavinsky, could be analyzed both on formal level and also essential, I would say, or content level. If you will use formal approach, we could describe a war vocabulary as an example of documentary poetry or so-called doc poetry, which involved the speech of others up to the rejection of one's own artistic framing or contextualization, when the author's action is reduced to the presentation of the selected text as artistic, but with a clear indication of its documentary nature. So it's it's very close to what I described. But at the same time, this project demonstrates that literature is <clears throat> as it, it was or has been now until now becomes impossible in a new traumatic circumstances. Uh, so we could say that a war vocabulary, this one war vocabulary, this spectral project is an attempt to reveal the process of the emergence of new writing as a new configuration of creative practices designed to name, understand, and define contemporary reality. But at the same time, the changes that taking place today in Ukrainian literature could be analyzed as a core of the global process of revising the very concept of literature which started in the last quarter of the 20th century. 
So I will stop here. That was what I would like to say just to initiate our discussion. As I said, that is only one phenomena, and contemporary Ukrainian liturgy could be represented in different ways, even when talking only about Ukrainian liturgy after 2014. But if you are interested in reading a bit more of Ukrainian poetry, I also collect some links, and I provide also links to my presentation. If somebody is in interested, please uh, to, uh, ask uh, your colleagues from Krika, and I hope it would be possible to share this list of uh, links. Thank you so much.